You're listening to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. This is episode number 37, airing on September 13th, 2012. Welcome to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. My name is Dave Stahoviak. And my name is Sandy Morgan. And this is the show where we empower you to study the issues, be a voice, and make a difference in ending human trafficking. Sandy, it's great to be back with you for our 37th episode and our continued conversation on how we can really uh, take the reins in ending human trafficking and talking about what we can do as individuals and as part of the uh, also larger global community to really work against this. And as we've seen in the last 36 episodes, there's a whole lot we can do. And I'm excited that we have a guest with us today that's going to give us even more ideas and tools and resources that we can tap into. I'm excited to have our guest today. Uh, the Global Center for Women and Justice at Vanguard University has hosted our guest for Freedom Day last year. And I have to tell you, our students still talk about when Harmony Dust came to Vanguard. So I want to welcome Harmony to our show. And um, Dave? Yeah, I'm just going to jump in real quick here, Sandy, and let folks know who are listening that if you have questions or comments for us or for anything we talk about on the show today or that Harmony mentions or we uh, discuss we absolutely would love to have you as part of our conversation and dialogue. So there's two ways you can reach out to us. One is on our uh, phone hotline, and that is 714-966-6361. And that will get you right to the Global Center for Women and Justice here at Vanguard University. And then, of course, the other way is to send us an email, and you can do that by emailing gcwj at vanguard.edu. And again, that's for the Global Center for Women and Justice. Absolutely. Good. I always forget we've got to give the the little um, information so we can stay connected with you. And I Absolutely. love getting some of your emails that are telling me the new things that you're trying. So uh, stay in touch with us. That's great. Okay, Dave, I am holding a book in my hand right now. It is The Transformation of an Exotic Dancer, Harmony Dust, and the title of the book is Scars and Stilettos. Harmony, welcome to Ending Human Trafficking. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I, um, I think that people should order your book. They can order that either um, at Treasures or they can actually, I saw this on Amazon. Oh, you're, yep. It's on Amazon, too. Yep. You're you're a big-name author. I'm so glad to have <laughs> you here. So, um, Aw, thanks. So when you started Treasures, um, how did you decide to call this work with um, reaching out to women in the strip clubs and um, that sort of industry? How did you decide to call that Treasures? Um, well, essentially, I, um, I thought that it really reflected one of my beliefs and that every single woman working in the sex industry is a treasure and that she is valued. And so I wanted that to be reflected, that belief to be reflected in the name of the organization. And so that's pretty much how we ended up with the name Treasures. 
Okay. I, I love the name treasures. I think it's, it's beautiful. And it's one of the, the qualities that you demonstrate in um, just being really value centered and you are so clear in your message. So tell me what the purpose of treasures is. The purpose is to see that women in the sex industry are reached, restored, and equipped so that they can live the kind of healthy and flourishing lives that I believe they were created to live. Okay. And when when you started this, um, you know, I have this image of Harmony, and I read your book, and it's so full of energy, and I think, okay, she's going to go in there and say this, this, and this to women who seem to be trapped, literally, and they're just going to like line up like the Pied Piper and follow her out the door. But <laughs> I, I've learned that it's really tough to um, create exit strategies. So what are the issues that women face? Um, it is incredibly tough because there are just so many dynamics at play, you know, and so Oftentimes, the women do feel trapped, and, you know, if you ask them would they like to be in a different, you know, line of work, they say yes, but um, a lot of times, really, the the barriers are multifaceted, and so the main barriers that I see women facing are usually, one is a history of sexual abuse and trauma that um, I think it kind of sets the stage for sex work in the sense that um, I know for myself, having been a sex worker in the past, that it taught me that my values and my sexuality, that sex was a tool and a weapon that I could use for survival. And sex work, in a sense, gave me this false sense of empowerment that as a victim of sexual abuse, you know, it's so much of it is about power and control and feeling completely powerless. And then going into this arena where, you know, having my sexuality exploited it first seems like it's not leading to powerlessness, it's leading to me having money and having the upper hand, which I found in the long run to be a false sense of empowerment. Mm-hmm. So one, one facet here is that often having a history of sexual abuse and trauma, up to 90% of women in the sex industry have a background of sexual abuse. Then if you couple that with a lack of um, either a healthy family or a healthy community or social support, and then pile on top of that economic challenges, lack of employable skills. Uh, you know, for a woman who's facing those challenges, oftentimes sex work looks like a solution to her issues. It's a way, you know, to make money and, um, and without a healthy community around her, you know, supporting her and showing her maybe that there are other ways of doing things, it just it makes it even more sticky. So those are the kind of the main barriers that I see um, happening in the women's lives. So... How did you get out? I essentially what happened for me is that, I mean, my life was like a horrible episode of Jerry Springer. Like it was really, really, really bad. And I'm a smart person. I went to UCLA, graduated magna cum laude. There's nothing wrong with my brain. But I was making horrible choices in my life and allowing incredible amounts of dysfunction around me um, just because really that was what was familiar to me. I come from a chaotic background, a home where there was violence, abuse sexual abuse, rape, trauma, and so I just continue to live that out like it was the norm, and so I was in a really messy point in my life working in a strip club. My boyfriend was essentially pimping me, taking all my money, and just in in this horrible downward spiral, and it was at that point really what what got me out was a woman, a friend that I met in actually a ballet class of all places, 
who just reached out to me and showed me unconditional love and modeled to me what it looked like to live a healthier life, modeled to me what healthy boundaries look like, and loved me right where I was at without judging me. And it was really her friendship that um, began to open my eyes to some things and to some ways of living that I hadn't seen before. And she also um, introduced me to my faith, which, you know, I'm a Christian and I um, came to know Jesus. And so for me, it was a big part of it was getting involved in healthy community. And then for me also getting deeply involved in, um, in my church and developing my faith. So you have an MSW, you understand all the sociological implications of what led to this, and you understand how difficult it is for the women to see other options. So they have to experience what you did, um, a, a real authentic community where people accepted you, right? Yeah, yeah. And so then you took it a step further and you've actually created a model where you build teams that do that. How, how does that work? Well, really, it, I mean, it just started at this, as this tiny kind of grassroots outreach effort in L.A. And essentially, I, I just got to the point where I realized, you know, I got to a point in my recovery journey where I realized it couldn't just be about me and I wanted my story to count for something and to be able to use the pain from my past to reach other people. And so um, I started a local outreach team with the support of my, my church and started going into strip clubs and just with the message to the women that they're loved, valued, and purposed. And so it started from there, but once people started hearing about what we were doing here in L.A. and kind of the headway that we're making, they became interested in, in finding out how to do that in their communities. So now we've also developed um, a training program called the Strip Church Network where I provide training to sex industry outreach leaders and teach them how to do outreach in, to women in the sex industry in their communities. And then we also have a platform where we have video conferencing and a website and blogs and just um, some interactive forums where I provide ongoing mentoring to these leaders. Because once you do start a ministry or an organization like this, it can be really challenging and you know, you're kind of trailblazing in a way. And so we provide the kind of the support and come alongside them as they develop their their outreaches. Well, how do, how would they access that? The if we actually have trainings coming up in Miami, Dallas, and Sydney, Australia in the next couple of months. And so if they wanted to um, find out more about that, you could go to www.stripchurch.com and um, information on the training, the dates and cities that we're going to be training in are all available on that website. Wow. I want to go to the one in Sydney. Yeah, yeah me too. I do too. I'm so excited. <laughs> you know, I was just thinking uh, of two things uh, for, you know, listening to uh, both of you talk, Sandy and Harmony. If, and I think that a lot of us uh, who are listening in our listening community kind of think of, you know, what can I do around this issue, around human trafficking and around getting, um, helping to prevent these situations from happening. And I, I love Harmony's story about that one person who made that connection with her, showed her genuine love and friendship, and helped to support her during a very difficult time in her life, and the power that one individual can really play. Mm. And so a great reminder for our audience that uh, you know we may not be able to end human trafficking as an entire global issue by ourselves, but we can certainly do something that will be of benefit to one or two or maybe more people and then the other thing, of course, I'd recommend here is for our listening audience, for those of you who may work in nonprofits and church organizations who are thinking about or maybe are already doing outreach to 
uh, sex workers and local strip clubs, that that is something that here's a great resource of someone who's really done a wonderful job of thinking through a lot of this and thinking through the right ways to provide outreach, uh, that it's a wonderful resource. So uh, I really encourage you to reach out to Harmony's website here and to look into more information on that. Yeah. And, you know, you made several good points, but one of the things I like that you said about in the beginning, it could be just about reaching out to the the one or the two. And, you know, and I, for me personally, I believe that it really never gets more complicated than the one, the heart for the one. The heart for the one is why I have a heart for the many. And um, a lot of times people will call me and say, you know, oh, I, I, there's this girl and, you know, let's just, an example, we go to school together and she's, you know, working as an escort and she really needs your help. I need, you know, you to contact her and she needs some support and that kind of thing. And while we at Treasures, we have a, a weekly support group that's led by a therapist and we have some great resources that, yes, this woman would be able to take advantage of. Most of the time, the, the person who's contacting me, really, they're the one who has the relationship. They're the one that has the kind of rapport that they can really show up and be the person that is the encouragement and walks alongside and um, and so, yeah, I, I love that you brought that up because I do want to empower the listening audience that that is something you can do if you come across someone in your own daily life, knowing that, you know, showing up and being present in their lives and being a voice of truth and encouragement to them is a very powerful thing. So when you, I, I, you said it already at least once, loved, valued, purposed. And if I could count how many times I've heard Harmony Dust use those three words, um, I'd uh, I, I don't even know the answer, but that is demonstrated in everything that you do because you keep showing up, which to me um, authenticates that you really do value the women that you are reaching out to. At what point do you find the greatest discouragement in helping women exit this kind of exploitation? The, the heavy sigh is that I, I have an immediate um, thing that comes to mind that I'm dealing with this week in terms of um, a crisis. The, the biggest discouragement is seeing someone and you see their potential and you, like, I know everything that's in them and what can be drawn out and I see just the, the uniqueness and the giftedness and the dreams and hearing the dreams, but then then really when it comes to the, at the end of the day, I can't want it more than they do. Mm. And they have to be willing to do the hard work that it takes to go through the recovery process and to overcome some of the barriers. And yes, we give them tools and yes, we come alongside, but they have to want it more than anybody else. And so the most frustrating, discouraging thing is those times when you just want it so deeply for someone and you know, five, six, seven, eight years later, nine years later, they're still, you know, pounding on the same barriers and the same walls and you know that they can do it, but they just aren't willing to make those, those shifts and those changes. And I know, you know, I know how hard it is because I've done a lot of that myself. So that's the most frustrating, discouraging mm. thing is seeing that kind of potential in people and knowing that I can't want it more than they do. Mm. And you do have a significant um, capacity for perseverance, Harmony. I appreciate that about you. I, I compare that to a lot of other um, outreach efforts that are directed at much younger victims of sexual exploitation. And it's a lot easier to, and, and easy is not the right word to use, I, I not a good choice, but it is 
more, um, uh, it's, I don't know, there is not a better word than easy. It's just on a scale of one to 10, um, it's difficult helping a young girl that's 13 or 14 that's involved in some kind of of form of commercial sexual exploitation. And I want to make sure our listeners understand that strip club um, work is also commercial sexual exploitation. Someone is making a profit by exploiting yours or this person, boy or girl, um, for by exploiting them for, for profit. And so sometimes we think only... Um, uh, selling sex uh, in forms that appear to be like prostitution are commercial sexual exploitation. But this is just another form. So yeah. um, rescuing kids is is like picking, you know, the low-hanging fruit because they're under 18. Um, they don't get to say that they can stay. We can just take them out of this environment when we find them. But many of the women that you work with to help them find exit strategies, they were recruited when they were younger, but now they're over 18 and there aren't any legal remedies for them. How- yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, they have to want it, and they they have to will it. They have to want it. They have to do the work. They have to show up. And you know what? A lot of times they don't, but then sometimes they show up once, and you don't hear from them for a couple of years, and then when they're ready, they show up again, and then they do the work. And so that's, that's where I'm encouraging. I also believe that this kind of work, it it's um, I'm in it for the long haul. We've been doing this since 2003, and I'm not going anywhere because I believe that um, – that the recovery process takes time and it takes time even to build trust and it takes time of developing, you know, the kind of rapport and, and trust with the clubs and with the women in the club so that they know that maybe it's not today, maybe it's a year down from now, maybe it's five years from now when they finally do make a decision that they're ready to make some changes in their life and pursue, you know, start to think about an exit strategy and then we're there for them then. It, yeah, it can be very challenging. You can't just pluck them up and put them in a program and make them stay. Yeah, so that's that's really challenging. I think I heard you recently say how many um, times it takes uh, for a woman to actually try to leave. Well, it takes several. I mean, I think it's similar to what you see in domestic violence situations. I think they say that it takes seven times for a woman leaving mm. before she finally leaves. And I, I see a lot of the same dynamics happening when it comes to women in the sex industry. So as as people without any experience in that, if we go to your training, we're going to learn how tough it is, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And and is this something that you can go and do on a, uh, a one-week church outreach project and then go home? Oh, my home? gosh, no. I highly discourage anybody <laughs> from doing a one-week church outreach project. I, I really believe that this kind of work for it to be done effectively needs to be done consistently and um, because there's a lot of, you know, lack of trust and, you know, they're used to people coming and going. And so really sometimes it does take a long time of doing this kind of outreach before you start to de- develop the kind of trust where someone would take you up on your outreach offer. So I, um, I really think that when it comes to this, it needs to be done um, very consistently. We've been doing outreach on the third Friday. I believe in this so strongly. We've been doing outreach on the third Friday of every month. That, that is the Friday. It is the same time. It, ha- it happens in the same way for almost nine years because I believe it takes that kind of consistency and follow-through to get um, women to trust you. 
Yeah. Okay. So you're showing up and being really, really faithful. So can you describe for me the ideal volunteer that works on your team? Hmm. The ideal volunteer. Well, first of all, I I guess I would just want to say, first of all, the first thing that comes to mind is that I know a lot of people have the misconception that in order to volunteer with an organization like this or to be an effective volunteer, you have to have come from a background like that, but that's absolutely not true. The ideal volunteer is someone who um, they themselves have done some kind of, you know, what I don't know if it necessarily has to be recovery work, but are are a person who is self-aware and is is healthy and strong in their own right and in their own wholeness and sense of self, and then is passionate and committed um, to doing this for not just for a one weekend kind of thing, but for the long haul. So that for me is the ideal volunteer. Okay. And so with passion and commitment and consistency. So what I heard there, I didn't hear that they need to have uh, a specialized degree or nope. they don't have to have any, um, any special talents. It seems like it's more the qualities of commitment that you're oh, interested in. Absolutely. Like on my outreach team, I mean, we have, it runs the gamut. Like we have people who, are in college and, you know, just kind of like finding their way in life and working at Starbucks. And we have people who are attorneys and psychologists. And, you know, so it really kind of, we have girls in their 20s and women in their 60s. And so, yeah, absolutely. You don't need a specialized degree to just show up. Okay. And what role do men play in Treasures? To be totally honest, for a very long time, and I think I've shared this with you before, Sandy, mm-hmm. I was really apprehensive about any male involvement having, you know, mostly to do with my own issues and lack of trust towards men, which um, thankfully I have been working on for several years. And so I'm really excited to say that now we have, Treasures has um, something that we are just in the kind of early phases of, but called Men for Treasures. And Men for Treasures are basically a group of men who's mission it is to support the female volunteers of Treasures. So they come alongside and do things like drive the, the vehicles that we use for outreaches or help, help lift the heavy gift boxes full of gift bags or um, lead the prayer meetings, um, do security for our support group. So they come alongside and partner with us and look at how they can bring strength to us. Um, and then also the other thing is, is that they're committed to being a voice in their sphere of influence that would begin to kind of shatter the cultural norms that we have in terms of the way our culture tends to objectify and sexualize women and are committed to not going to strip clubs and not visiting prostitutes and not watching porn and, you know, just living in a way that's very honoring to women. And so um, that's, that's the avenue that we have for men to get involved with us. Okay, good, good. And I know that one of your volunteers had a really unique opportunity to serve treasures by um, recording an article that um, was written by R.J. Martin on how to use Maslow's hierarchy to recruit. And one of the things that I took away from listening to him was the fact that one of the issues with getting people out of this is that they got into it for something they thought they were going to get out of it. They were going to have um, security. They were going to have love. They were going to have needs in their lives met. And in some kind of um, 
distorted fashion, they may still believe that those needs are being met because of those kinds of relationships. And it sounds very, very warped to us that um, the, the, the pimp actually uses psychology to recruit. Absolutely. Yes, that, yeah, that is a very powerful video that our, our volunteer read that article. It's actually available on the Treasure's website at IamATreasure.com for those of you listening who might want to check it out. But yeah, it's really about legitimate needs, legitimate human needs that we all have being met in kind of illegitimate, twisted ways. And that's ultimately part of the tactic that pimps use. They know how to identify vulnerable women and children, and they know how to manipulate that vulnerability and manipulate the the lack of family support, the lack of a father, the, that kind of thing. And um, I know for me, the, one of the reasons I stayed so long is because my, my needs, I was surviving and I was finding ways to get these legitimate human needs for safety, security, support, relationship, community. I was finding a, a twisted way of getting those needs met, but it, it becomes familiar there's a sense of familiarity that I found comfort in even the familiarity of my dysfunction. Even though I was in an extremely abusive relationship, there was a familiarity there in the sense that I knew what set him off. I could try to figure out how to walk on eggshells and kind of navigate that and control that. And I knew what to expect for the most part each day. And there's this quote that I love, and it says, until the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change, most people stay the same. And, and it's true, it's very comfortable. And if people listening who maybe haven't experienced anything like that, you know, but I'm sure that we all know what it's like to have something that we wish we would just, you know, we make our New Year's resolution, we want to lose the 10 pounds. And, you know, and then by, by the next year, we're still in the same place we were. It's very hard to make change. Change is really hard because we come, become comfortable and familiar with our present and the way things are now. Harmony, I see the exact same thing in our business. And obviously, we're working with a very different population of leaders and executives and organizations. But often, changes comes very hard. And it is exactly that. It's, it's not until the pain of the current situation becomes greater than the change, the pain to change. And that is something that is a huge, huge obstacle for people. And it's a great reminder for all of us, regardless of the work we're doing in the world, to um, to really be there and to invest in people long term, just like you're doing. So I'm so glad to hear your focus on that because so much of that's so important because it does take time for people to recognize that need yeah. for change and you know it and it won't happen in a weekend most of the time mm. yeah hmm. no. i wish if we could just get a weekend workshop going uh, <laughs> and if be that great? did the trick man boy you would be busy I'd be out of a job yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah exactly um okay so uh, for for our listeners, the reason why I feel so imp- this is such an important um, outreach, this is part of ending human trafficking. Any form of exploitation is part of the problem that enslaves people. And I think that what you are doing, Harmony, is amazing. So give us your website and um, the opportunities for training one more time before we have to um, transition again. Absolutely. You can check out the Treasures website at IamATreasure.com where we have information on how you can get involved and um, a story section of women who are on the other end of the journey who are sharing their stories very bravely. And then if you're interested in doing outreach to women in the sex industry in your community, community, we would love to train you. And that website is www.stripchurch.com. 
Okay. And if you have not read Harmony Dust's book yet, it is Scars and Stilettos. And um, it will, you can read it all in one sitting because you just don't want to stop. So I appreciate you so much, Harmony. And I love that you are a leader in um, as a professional uh, with your MSW and a leader as um, a survivor advocate. And you're such a model to all of us. And we appreciate you and uh, are very excited to see the next chapter. And I think we should be looking forward to the next book. Yeah, I'm working on it now. All and right. I awesome. Thank awesome. you, Sandy, for having me. You are a hero of mine and you are a trailblazer. Oh, well, we're, we're going to do more good stuff together. Okay, Harmony? Absolutely. All right. Thanks. Well, it's just going to about do it for our time together, Sandy. And I want to thank again, Harmony, for joining us uh, for our episode today. And just a reminder, if you'd like to keep in touch with what we are up to as a global center, that you can do that by visiting the Global Center for Women and Justice website. And you can reach that at gcwj.vanguard.edu. And if you want to really keep in touch with what's going on, just take a look on that website. In the bottom left, you'll find an opportunity to sign up for our monthly newsletter, and that will keep you in touch with everything the center is doing. So, Sandy, I look forward to uh, seeing you again here in two weeks for episode number 38. All right. Thanks, Dave. Take care, everybody. Have a great week.